behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We are here. With episode 49. And we're still continuing with Bruce, who did someone else's time. Fucked up, I know. But we are just so inspired by his attitude, his outlook, um, his perspective on life since what he's been through. And so we're continuing. We also know we have a lot of people who are into crime and um, criminal justice and things like that. So eat your heart out, listeners. But we always start an episode because we don't want to ruin that rhythm of reinforcing ourselves. It keeps us going. So Casey, please read our review of the day. All right. A review of the day is coming in from G Mr. Thanks for being there. I recently reached out to you guys about a problem I was having with a family member. You were empathetic, shared your thought process, and made me feel like I wasn't alone. You're the first people I've reached out to about this, and your positive reinforcement for doing so is motivating me to reach out for more help. Thank you. Well, we're glad we could be here for you. I know that I've been through a ton of family shit, and I've shared a lot of that on here with you guys. So um, if you do ever need to reach out, the behavior bitches gotcha. Just, you know. Send us a little email to the behavior ladies at gmail.com because Gmail wouldn't let us have bitches. So <laughs> we didn't just all of a sudden get PC. <laughs> <laughs> we're true to um, who we are. It, it was Google's fault. <laughs> we're true to who we are. Yes, we are real raw and relatable. You're welcome. Um, yep, this is part three. This is going to be hopefully the last part, but honestly, who knows, right? He's just a cool ass guy um, who has a, a ridiculous story. Um, there's going to be a ton of show notes for things that you can go watch and read on about Bruce. Um, at this point, you're probably like, Bruce is my bestie. He's our bestie too. So we feel you guys, if you're out there feeling the same way. And Casey, Casey to- falls in love with any male she talks to. She's like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm such a fan. I'm such a fan. Don't worry. I'm in love too, Bruce, but I'm a harder one to make fall in love. So, all right. Um, yeah, Casey's like the easy fallen lover, you know? <laughs> yeah, anyone. Anyone yeah. since sliced bread. My husband yeah. loves that, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. All, All right. right, welcome back. Bruce is in the house. What up, Bruce? Hey, hey, how's it going? Oh, yeah. You just need to act excited as if you haven't been talking to us for two hours already, okay? <laughs> it's been forever. What have you guys been up to? Yeah, not much. Chilling, um, Chill. sitting here. Listening to you, taking notes, doing all those fun things. It's totally um, over that we're all wearing the same thing that we were. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, so let's pick up. We left off. You were talking about life, like, you know, how different things have meaning to you now, kind of like your outlook. It's amazing. I still have some, like, I'm just like that annoying Jewish nosy girl who needs to know, like, some questions still about the inside. So I'm going to get those answered. And then I know Casey has more um, these um, questions about life afterwards. And so we're going to get into that. And what fascinates me about prison a lot and why like, I watch a lot of this stuff is the um, creativity or like ingenuity. Is that the word? Ingenuity. 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 In- ingenuity. Ugh. Should I leave it in or take it out? Leave it in. It's a blooper. <laughs> Who cares? Listen, I can't be so smart all the time. All right. So I need to know what are like the most creative things you saw people do in prison, like whether it's getting notes to each other, whether it's um, making shanks, 
Um, you, you tell me. I, I need to know. Like, I, I really need to know. <laughs> I think, well, one thing that you mentioned in passing, um, I think actually is, um, it's uh, making a tattoo gown and ink. So, like, I don't know if you have heard how tattoo guns inside are made. Staplers, right? Um, no. No, motor, motors from, like, a radio or, like? Yeah. Yeah, so you take, so, so the ingredients, so if you, everybody at home wants to play along at home, um, your ingredients list is going to be uh, for this. Yeah, if you're in quarantine, this is a great activity for you to get into. This is fantastic. Um, this yeah. is fantastic. Really, really passes the time and you could have some nice ink to show for, you know, in the, in the coming months. Um, when we come off lockdown, you could be like, look, look, what's up? Um, <laughs> so you want a toothbrush? You want um, a piece of, uh, if you can get guitar string, that would be awesome. If not, then where do you get that in prison? Um, they let people have instruments either through like religious programs, perhaps, or um, some places that you have your own instrument, and so you can get it. But um, yes, yeah, so if you can't get a guitar string, hey, don't cry. It's it's not over. Um, get a paper clip. <laughs> and, a paper clip. Um, yeah, paper clip. Paper. What about a staple? But that kind of seems thick. A paper clip. Um, huh? Isn't Is that, like that kind of a thick needle? The paper clip, yeah. or that's just to conduct electricity? No. So no, 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 no. So it's it's the. Let needle. him finish, so, girlfriend. <laughs> and then you get you get like a number two pencil and like break off the eraser at the top of a number two pencil, and then uh, what else do you need? Uh, an ink pen. You need an ink pen, like a big pen. And what you want to do is you want to, or another, any kind of pen, any brand of pen. I'm not partial to Bic. I mean, it's, you know. Oh, I'm partial to pens. Trust me. I don't have any, I don't have any stock in the company. I'm not mentioning because of that. So um, any kind of I, pen. I, I just need to know which one to use. God damn, you got a lot of pens, girl. <laughs> That's what study notes you is built entire, off of, baby. Entire drawer full of colored pens. That's not even all of it, dude. Okay, but yeah. Okay. Wow. That's like, pens are in short supply in prison. You'd be extremely popular from like day one. <laughs> <laughs> so you get a get a pen, and what you want to do is you want to um, basically bend your toothbrush, take the bristle part off, fuck that, and then like bend the rest of it into like an L shaped, right? And so and you oh you want to get the motor. And where are you bending it? Are you burning it? Are you burning it? Yeah, if you could, yeah, you need to find a way to bend it, and the best way is to like heat it up, and so bend it in like a ninety, and you get a motor from a tape player or like a Walkman kind of a thing. And you take that out. Like the newer ones won't work. You have to get an older Walkman because the newer ones have the um, the step pulse motors that you need part of the circuit board for. Fuck that. Just get an old Oh, yes, motor. definitely, definitely. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> right. So you'll find break open your tape player when you get it in prison, and you'll see what I'm talking about. You either got a, a stepper motor or you got an old motor. You want an old motor. OG's the best. And then you get some like thread or or dental floss into the short part of your S-shaped toothbrush. You wrap it around and you, you affix that motor to it. And then you put your eraser on the on the spindle of the motor. And then you bend your paper clip, just like the toothbrush, a little bit longer. And you stick it into that eraser so that when the motor goes around, you get a side to side motion in your thing. And then you run that down the 
hollowed out part of your old ink pen and taped that to the long part of the toothbrush and you got yourself a tattoo gun basically did you get any did you get any tattoos that you regret i got one tattoo no 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 do i regret it no no i don't regret it i don't like to do regret but i also stopped getting tattoos in there after one when i saw people walking around with i mean literally like words misspelled on them and i'm like dude can't do it what'd you get i got a pattern that i drew which was two hearts and they were kind of like melded together with like a banner going across the front and it sounds way more impressive than it actually is um it's not that that great a tattoo but um it's you know it is what it is i got a tattoo i passed the bar i Yay, you've made it. (laughs) Wait, how do you know it doesn't have like AIDS on the needle or something? Sorry Uh, to be like germaphobe. Well, because I heated up the needle myself and that's, you know, and we had alcohol. And but yeah, you want to make sure that your tattoo artist is hygienic and and can like delineate to you like things that need to be done to sterilize. Now, are you guys doing this in like secret? Like if a guard walked by and you were tattooing, is that like, can you get written up for that or is it okay? Definitely. Yeah, you definitely get written up for it. Um, You get written up for um, the moment that you busted into your radio and you took out the motor, you altered your your property and and it's subject to confiscation. So um, you're not allowed to do that. And so, yeah, tattoos against rules. um, But Hey, I mean, if you're sitting in there serving a life sentence for something you didn't do and you're worried about, you know, getting a tattoo. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) All relative again, right? So this I want to hear more, but I just want to tell the listeners that Casey and I were talking about this before. I was like, dude, there's M.O.s. People want things in there, but you got to be fucking creative. Like even right now in quarantine, when you can't get toilet paper, you still need it. There's an MO. You got to wipe your ass. So you're going to go find a leaf outside. You're going to find an old pair of underwear. You're going to find a flash card, whatever it is. And this is what we call, um, well, some of it is stimulus generalization, right? Like multiple stimuli, like a leaf, a, a piece of paper, a tissue, toilet paper. And you're going to do one response of wiping your ass. But then we were talking about there's also response generalization, like, let's say you want to um, get one stimulus as like you want to get drunk when you're in prison. How do you do that? Like, what, how do people make their own alcohol? OK, um, so there's something in at least in California, it's called Pruno and that, that um, individuals inside um, make. And you some places prison to prison is different. But ideally, what you want to get the easiest to make Pruno is um, citrus. So like oranges um, and you take apart, you know, 20, 30 oranges and you mash the stuff all up. You get some sugar, you get some starter um, and you you put it in a bag and you cook it. And after, you know, you burp your bag and after a certain number of days, there's alcohol in there because of the fermentation process. And then, yeah, some people make better stuff than others. I didn't drink the stuff i tried once i tried it once in in like 1986 and somebody handed me a, a tumbler and i looked at it and it had shit floating in i was like that is fucking disgusting <laughs> and i'm not going to do it to my liver just to sort of you know alter my okay. consciousness so i didn't really alter my consciousness much um you were sitting well. with yourself every day for 26 years right pretty All much right. Day, pretty much every day occasional occasional pot but yeah 
was, it great getting, was it great getting pot in prison? Um, you know what? Actually, relatively speaking, no, it really wasn't. I mean, because it's like, like people, there's any drug that you want to get, you can get in there. That's you know, crazy. If you, if you wait long enough, and if you kind of you know know the right people or whatever. But like, I didn't want to do that because it's not it's not a party atmosphere. It's like right. you know, it kind of fucking like, talk about paranoia. I mean, right? Like, I I actually heard of people like dropping acid in prison, and I'm like, I couldn't think of a more uncomfortable experience. At oh all. my god! That amplifies like everything and makes you. you I'm know, having cool. an anxiety attack thinking of that. I know. There's no fucking way. Like no. seeing things like in prison. Like what? Sounds I'm, like a nightmare. So how do they get it in? How do they get it in? Um, staff will smuggle stuff in, or some you know visitation situations. Um, they'll smuggle stuff in, and yeah. I mean, I don't know what the breakdown is on that, but yeah. Did you have a lot of visitors when you were in there? Um, yeah, my dad would come up. When I was in L.A., my dad would come up every week. And then when I was at uh, San Quentin and farther away, Mule Creek, um, he'd come up a few times, four times a year, five times a year at first, and then four, and then three. His health deteriorated to where he, and he had emphysema. He started smoking at seven and died at 69. Um, so he would, he didn't want to be on planes. He didn't want to be far away from a good hospital. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it necessitated fewer visits, but, um, yeah. Oh my fucking. You know God. what? I, I was just thinking like, do you ever think this, that, I mean, you know, he's down up here looking down on you. Um, how proud he would have been that like, the day you got out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I look at his picture. Um, I, and I just, I can't believe he's been gone since, you know, 1995. It just, it doesn't seem possible that he's been gone mm-hmm. almost you know, 25 years. But he definitely like is watching you and is like, I'm so proud of you and you're killing it in that Benz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, you know, you know, uh, like being in World War II, I don't think he would ever buy a German car, but- um, Neither would my parents. Yeah, he was always Buicks, you know, he was like a Buick just, and, and yeah, you know, I, I go to, before COVID, I tried to go with some regularity to his favorite restaurant, Musso and Frank's on Hollywood Boulevard, uh, oldest restaurant in Hollywood. And he used to have his law office right around the corner and he would go there like almost every lunch and they had it, he had his own booth and was just like, you know, of course. And so I tried to go there and just kind of sit with him and, the place is unchanged since, you know, way, way, way back. And, and it's like Raymond Chandler and old Hollywood, Charlie Chaplin, just Marilyn Monroe, all kinds of people. That's awesome. There. And it's, it's really got a presence and it's really got a strong connection for me to him. And I I'll sit and either, you know, with, or, or by myself, I will sit and, and, uh, a martini with him and toast to him. Yeah. So speaking of the day, right, the day that you got out of prison, Mm -hmm. can you walk us through that day? Like, I want to know every detail. Who picked you up? Where'd you go to first? What did you eat for food? Like, who did you see? What brand were the clothes that that sheriff (laughs) brought you? Like, I don't remember that. I don't remember. I'm kidding. No, that part, I'm (laughs) kidding. But the rest, I'm not. I don't remember that, but there are pictures of them in the videos of me at that park, looking up at the tree with Paul Ingalls. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he's like, 
you know, you look really funny looking up at the tree. And I'm like, I, you know, haven't been with a tree in 26 years. So did you hug the tree? I didn't hug that tree, but I've hugged trees. Have you kissed the floor? Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I kissed. Yeah. Yeah. Once I was, I didn't do it at the prison. I thought that I would do it. Like I'm going to get out. You you got to look like a little cool still when you're at the prison. You're not going to look like a little like, oh, I kissed the floor. You got to be like still a badass until you're at least off the driveway, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, it's funny. So like they, they led me up and out of the prison and like they escorted me that day to places in this prison that I hadn't seen, although they were maybe a thousand feet away from where I actually lived at any given moment, maybe even three or 400 feet, some of them, but places in the prison that I hadn't been in 19 years of living there. Wow. On that like little 6.5 acre plot, you know, the the one facility that I'm on was about that big. Um, And I hadn't been to those places and I hadn't been through those doors. I'd seen people walking through those doors you know, countless times. And then they were like leading me through those doors. And I was just, it was, it was bananas. It was like, it was, it was scary as hell is what it was. Because I didn't know what lay on the other side of those doors. I didn't, I hadn't been free in essentially a lifetime. And here I was being propelled towards them. with no way to slow it down. Not that I would have, but wouldn't I have? I mean, it's, it was scary as shit. And so. I mean, I could but also your memories, like when I think of when I was a child, I thought like t- Toys R Us was so cool. I don't know if you may have missed that in prison too. Like no. I went back recently or like two years ago and I was like, this sucks balls. Yeah. You know, like, did you have some of these memories that you're like, wah, yeah. wah? Yeah. 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 Totally. I mean, if you go back right now, it totally sucks balls because they've shut down. So it's, pretty, yeah, it's one, not even there. Yeah. There's one here in the Valley that's like boarded up and, that's the place where my folks bought me like a bicycle and like a catcher's mitt and a, or a, a baseball mitt for my time on the, on the little league. But so they lead you up front here and like, yeah, then you got all your property. I had like three boxes, four boxes of, of stuff on this like hand cart. And whereas like you didn't get out much for a lot of years like you can't get off the property fast enough. They're like, here's your visitors. They made them stay back behind the line. And it was uh, my private investigator, my cousin, and for the people, Sherry, one of them, and just and my ex-wife, Jenny. And, and they're like, and Paul Ingalls helped me get the stuff into his truck. And I said, let's get the fuck out of here. And we left and we went to a little press conference at a local park. And then we went to, to IHOP to, have pancakes and, all right back uh, up pause pause real quick because yeah. you just said my wife my ex-wife. Are you buried in prison no but i'm saying how did you meet her in prison we missed a humongous I did, I, part yeah in the early 90s i'd put an ad in in the local paper in the sacramento Bee looking for a pen pal which... oh my god that's true i watched the show on there's a new show on it oh yeah married to lockdown or love in lockdown and there's like websites now like meet an inmate or something I- run one of those websites it was i i had a thing called cell block services oh my god you're so cool um, and it was it's there are other prison pen pal websites that are like well more established and so it's difficult to break into that market because like how do you how do you market it i managed to but then uh drawing you know driving traffic to it from eligible people wasn't as easy as i like so that went under but i did that for a little while 
I started doing that. And anyway. Um, oh my God, I just, that made me think I really need to write back to this guy who wrote to me from prison. He's probably waiting, right? Probably waiting. Fuck me. Ugh, and who knows? And Liat, who knows? Who knows what? <laughs> if you could get married. She was like, I am married. <laughs> I am married. And we weren't even like that good of friends. But for some reason, I'm fascinated by prison. So when I heard this person went in, I was like, how is this rich ass kid going to do this in there? Right. And so I was like, I, so I sent him some books, actually, like on behaviorism, just to be nice. Like, I thought, like, why not learn? Yeah. And that's then, awesome. like, that's awesome. Oh my God. I need to write back. I'm going to write back. Okay. We digress. Sorry. So you, you met, um, <laughs> you met someone. So right. in yeah. Prison. So then he wrote, she wrote, her name's Jenny. And then we just struck up a, a pen pal relationship and she came, started visiting and we got engaged and we got married and we had, um, she was, she visited like a few hundred times altogether when you, wow. a couple hundred, I think, as you sort of like add them all up, a huge number of visits, mm-hmm. uh, more than 30 miles from the prison. That says a lot, you know? Yeah. And so we had family visits. We had uh, conjugal visits, six of them. And that for so me that was like. you have sex in prison? Yeah. So conjugal visits are where you have unsupervised visits with your spouse or your, or your direct family, like parents. Yeah. And, and yeah, and so that was yeah, and it was it it taught me what it felt like to be free again. Yeah. Just a taste of it. Like a sliver. To have yeah, to have somebody trust you enough to close their eyes and go to sleep next to you was incredibly moving. Mm-hmm. And and it was a deep, wonderful experience. And she grew and I grew. For her it was like being in prison and and as she related to to me later. Um and for you it was like being out of prison. Yeah, exactly. And it was, so it's a really incredible, you know, wild and, 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 uh, yeah, it's a broad topic. It's a a big, broad topic, conjugal visits in prison. And, you know, for me, you want to keep people's sights on what it is to be free. You don't want people to become culturalized and and to sort of, you know, institutionalized and just like assume that that's the backdrop, like always being mistrusted, um, that's shit. That's messed up. That's, mm-hmm. that's damaging. And healing is to let them feel what it's like to be free again. And to have that as an incentive, like positive. A little bit of hope. A little bit of positive hope. Reward. Exactly. Yeah. Hope. And so as prison does, it sort of like kills all the things in time or I don't know. I used to say that, but whatever. Uh, the relationship didn't go the distance. It, it, it took us from where we were when we started it to where we were when we left off. And it was, and it was great, um, but it ended. We divorced. It's what you yeah. needed at that time. Exactly. Yep. People come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, right? Ooh, I like that. Yeah. That's you my little take it. You could take it. Yeah, uh, so, what I need to ask, though, is, okay. you know, these prisons are very punitive, obviously, right? There's a lot of yeah. um, what we call negative punishment. When you're removing something someone likes, right, yeah. is negative punishment you're removing something someone's like so they don't do the behavior again right 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 now as behavior analysts we're super into reinforcement like we'd rather reinforce the behavior we want to see as opposed to being like you're punished for that i'd rather tell someone like hey instead of that you could do this not saying if someone actually does murder someone they they do like they should do the time right Right. your situation like that is not okay but I'm saying, right. how are these prisons, like, are there systems in there, like reward systems, like for good behavior? Are they teaching people replacement behaviors? Like, hey, look, 
I know like we had a pimp on one of these episodes one time and like, like it actually made a lot of sense to me, like why he did this stuff. He knew nothing different. Like he had to survive. Yeah. Right. So like, I'm like, are they teaching people alternative behaviors? Are they trying to rehabilitate these people? Like what's going on there? Interesting thing. Yeah. So that's an interesting question. So, so <laughs> what we discuss and Satyana and, and, if I was in somebody else's shoes, given their entire background and where they are right now and where they were when behavior that they exhibited occurred, I would choose to do exactly the same thing that they did. I would do exactly the same thing that they did. We all would, because that's that situation as it existed. And there was no, there wasn't another way for them to, to, to act. They did, they would. Who's they, the prison? Anybody, me, you. Anybody, the thing that we did when we were confronted with this being exactly who we are in that particular moment, confronted with this circumstance and that question is how you reacted or I reacted or she reacted, and we would do it again because that was our... Our history, our learning history. Right. And so um, when we take, pulling back from that a bit, like if we could take the judgment out of it, like, because you mentioned, well, if somebody murders somebody... um, Da, 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 da. I don't think it matters like what the crime actually is. If you take it away and you look at it scientifically, you can positively reinforce alternative behaviors. You could heal trauma. You could address things like um, the fact that an angry action, anger is born of yeah. hurt, trauma, mm-hmm. pain, and, and pain sits atop love. So when somebody who's innocent and loving, like we are as children, comes into the world and is traumatized, yeah. and that goes unaddressed, then that becomes anger, can become anger. And because it's like, it's our, it's our attempt to like protect ourselves and also to say, that was wrong. I shouldn't have been traumatized like that. And you're right. And, they're, and we're right. And so, but, but that's how it comes out. So it's But like, some well, people don't have access. Like you had a, like a level-headed like parents before this, right? Like- mm-hmm. What about someone who like goes in and they're going to go out and reoffend because they, they haven't learned any replacement behaviors. All they've been is punished in there and they're just surviving day by day. Like, do you think right. that these prisons could do a better job at potentially, you know, using this as an opportunity to make change if it's someone that like. Yeah, without a doubt, without does, a doubt, there could be there could be more systemic uh, or systematic, rather, um, and systemic um, rehabilitation effort and presence there. There's a lot more now than there used to be. There's a lot more, and this is, I'm speaking of 10 years old experience. I haven't been in for 10 years, over 10 years, almost 11. And But when I was in, when I was last in, there was increased mental health um, presence in the prisons. That's good. There was increased programming um, capabilities, uh, opportunities like uh, self-help, they made leisure time activity groups, real tags, and uh, things with positive messaging coming in. And there needs to be more. And there needs to be more systematic. It needs to be not just in your off time, but let's assign you to these. Rehabilitation comes from within. But when that person flips that switch and wants to do that, there should be every resource available for them. Yeah, to that's what, exactly. And a lot of positive reinforcement for good behavior. And yes, I believe that there should be honor prisons. I believe, and why not, that we should have prisons where if you're well enough behaved that you get to have your own computer in there. 
you get to have more, you know, more like a Nordic kind of a, a prison model. And I know societally we're quite different here. And so you can't say, let's transplant that to here and have it work. There's a difference. There's a smaller, you know, community over there and, and people are more likely to know each other personally. And, and that has an effect and other things have an effect. But I think that by rewarding good behavior, um, we'll get a lot farther and healing trauma will get a lot, lot, lot farther along in rehabilitative efforts than by smacking the person who does something wrong on the nose. That's what I'm thinking, road. because it's like it's like that kid at recess who like automatically knows my recess is going to be taken away today. It always is like I never get it. They always make me stay in for recess and work on the homework I missed in class. So it's like yeah. they stop trying. Like it's like why even like you've taken that yeah. any form of motivation away from them. So like why would these people want to re like, you know, like even try? And so I just. I actually feel like as behavior analysts, we could do a lot of work there to like maybe make people see that, look, they could still do their time, but like there has to be some incentive for them to want to become a better person. Let's make them, let's treat them like a better person. Yeah. Rather than, rather than succumbing to the, um, to the fallacy, like, you know, treating people as, as honorable, um, even though they've been convicted in, of, and sentenced because of a crime um, is somehow like coddling them. Like, let's get away from that bullshit. That, that is all based in the fear that they, they with the capital T are taking advantage mm -hmm. of us, capital U, and we need to, um, you know, whip their ass into shape and punish them, period, end of conversation. And it starts to acknowledge that people are, you know, vulnerable and, and have had trauma and, and, and are human beings and are, you know, to find little souls, you know, and like, and treat them as such and, and thereby incentivize good behavior and, and, and heal the trauma that underlies the behavior. And that's not coddling. That's just, that's the only responsible thing to do. Like, as I also, like if these police officers had some training also to be like, like, I know when we had Harry on the show, like he's like, certain people would just be like, all right, bye. See you next week back in jail. You'll be back next week. Bye. Right. Like, I'm like, that's so like, that sucks. Like there's obviously like no changes happening there or, you know, this, and he said like, he agrees, like that's not how it should be. And sure. the idea of just, you know, I think also maybe some of these, I'm sure there were certain police officers that you had more respect for because they showed you oh, more respect. Right. Like. Oh, totally. Totally some people who are you know who are working there because they just you know took a job that, that did well and they're decent people and 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 you know and then there are some who let's face it i mean a, a job where you where the the job description is um have ultimate dominion over other human beings um including holding a rifle over their heads and shooting them if necessary to protect others um there there are some people that that's going to appeal to and yeah, like they were like a loser in high school and this is their chance to be cool or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a, a kind of a joke on the yard, but it's actually there's a grain of, there's a, a grain or more of truth to it. Um that you know, and not in every case. You can't broad brush in any situation. And life is full of gray areas and and there are virtually no black and whites. But yeah, you know, there ought to be some screening. Um but yeah, I've I've seen some really really great officers who really cared and, um, you know, we're just not overly, you know, cruel or 
or anything like that. And, and it was really good. I had a really good relationship with them. I also had a really great relationship with, um, as the articles of the LA times started coming out. Um, cause you better believe I was showing them to anybody who, uh, looked like they read. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like we're going to chat. I just got another article today, like in the, in, you know, in, in the mail and we're going to chat. I'd be like, Hey, you want to see something trippy? And they'd be like, what? Be like, yeah, check that out. I'll get, I'll get it back from you on the way back. And like, so they'd have like half an hour, 45 minutes. And then we'd come back from chow and, and just this did look on their face. Like they'd look at me and be like, you're fucking innocent. I'd be like, yeah. Told you. That's what I've been saying. For <laughs> and there's something to be said for that. So there's, that's a whole like little, you know, psychological experiment in and of itself. It's like, what does that do to a person to be that person who is innocent and who is inherently an honest person and i mean we all make mistakes we've all lied but but by and large and fundamentally a moral and honest person who is disbelieved when he or she says i'm innocent on a big issue you know what does that, that do like makes me want to puke that like makes me want to puke that's like being in an insane asylum trying to prove that you're sane it's like exactly exactly because the you know your statements everything that you could possibly do every emotion that you could possibly make um to try makes to you crazier makes you look crazier <laughs> like well is fed with disbelief and negative outcome and they thereby makes you begin to doubt that action itself what if you start second guessing all of your positive actions that fucks a person up and that's that's somebody who's innocent and inside really has to combat as well in addition to everything else is the whole um ultimately anything that i do is ineffectual mm -hmm. you know we actually had a yeah. listener um question that i want to bring up right now because it's perfect i know yeah. which one was there ever any point when you were convinced that you actually had done this and i don't think that is because you are so you fought right yeah no no, I had a I had a contiguous broken memory from the moment that I woke up that morning until the moment that I was you know advised being placed in handcuffs and it's there so there's that was never a question and and I I never had such a thing in me and my dad knew that and people who really knew me knew that like people after my arrest were coming out of the woodwork that's why we found out about that's how we found out about Mike Ryan is people who knew both of us on the street were like in the apartment building were coming to my dad and saying first of all my god I'm so sorry and he lost his wife of 37 years and his son of 17 in one day yeah oh, shit. and they're saying oh my I'm god so yeah sorry but the second thing that came out of their mouth was like you're like Bruce didn't do it like we know Bruce didn't do it. He's like a barefoot skateboarding hippie. <laughs> he didn't do it. And, and that's the truth. And, and yeah. So I think it was more of the question, like, did it fuck with you so bad when everyone's telling you that you're crazy, that you were like, well, maybe I fucking am like, and you, you didn't give up though. No, I never went Well, maybe I am. I always knew that. That's amazing. Know, it was, I mean, you, what you doubt, what I doubted was my ability to change anything. Yeah. As, because it, it, you know, that was completely impotent at that point, you know, and, and so utterly powerless to do anything about, you know. And so then, 
in a positive way um, mm -hmm. because I had my dad in my life. I had joy in my life. I had positivity in my life. Um, how do you process that? How do you how do you process in a positive way um, what you can't change? Right. Well, it's the wisdom to know the difference. I mean, it's you know what I mean. It's yeah. it's a serenity prayer. It's it, <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the wisdom to know the difference. Absolutely. Exactly. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I can change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And knowing the difference, it it, it informs your own wisdom and maturity and take on life and, and, you know, your ability to sort of meet life on its own terms. Well, fucking fuck. This is just fucking crazy. This entire thing. I got to say, wow. <laughs> Fuckity fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> We used to get one F-bomb per episode, but today I think it deserves like 13 at least. 26. 26. I think 26. 26 times three of us, four of us in the conversation. Yeah, exactly. So there's another listener question. Um, if, you know, what would you say to Mike Ryan? Mike Ryan, is that his name? Yeah. If you could have seen him when you got out, like what would there have been? Like, how are your feelings towards him? I know you've 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 clearly done the work, like yeah. to get over and harboring resentment, but yeah. I mean, you... so I mean, initially, sort of, he's already assuming he's already dead as he is. I would say to him, I mean, you couldn't mention me in the fucking note, Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> you know, just you know, FYI, BTW, you know. Oh, Isn't like it, in, his, in his suicide note, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, in his suicide note. Because um, <laughs> you would have been out way quicker. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? It could have, like, sped things along a little bit. Um, I could have enjoyed, like, joy in my life for a little while before she How died. many years would that take away? That would have been 1996, and so maybe 97 or 98 until I got out, because the other side probably would have fought against it anyway. Unless he provided like information only the killer could know, and they may be quicker than that, but who knows? I mean, the system really grinds slowly in, in the out direction, in pretty fast, out, not so fast. <laughs> I was gonna say that. Um, but then, you know, in a more informed way, I think what I would what I would say to him would be informed by the fact that I know how damaged he was. Like I just he was he was a supremely damaged human being to be able to like just outright murder. Yeah. A friend's, a friend, a supposed friend's mom. In a brutal way. In did, a, you owe him, did you owe him money or something? No. No, I let him, I had let him stay on the couch in my apartment. Like he owed me. Like I, he didn't pay me what he said he was going to pay me. That's why I asked him to leave. And then when I did, he threatened my life, you know? So it's, he, no, it wasn't, you know, no. So it was, he, sen it was a senseless crime. It was a senseless crime. I mean, yeah. Your mom didn't do anything. Like, you didn't do anything. Like, he was just damaged, and he picked your mom, honestly, yeah. right? Yeah. She turned him away for a job, and maybe that was all it was that made him flip. Yeah, and I also think that there was another so-called friend of mine who was a really devious individual, and I think he had something to do with planning uh, a, a broader theft from the house. Um, Did they get money from the house or anything? There was $150 reported missing from my mom's purse. Um, and then suddenly Mike Ryan, after sleeping in carports and being penniless for like the five days since he had arrived back in Los Angeles before the murder, the day of the murder, four hours later, he's able to check into a motel in Hollywood. He has the money for that. So that was, you know, yeah. And then 
also there was some money discovered in my mom's purse later by the LA Times or, or in the records by an evidence clerk. And so there was a question as to whether or not money was taken at all. But I, I think that, yeah, I think that that was her, her emergency. Like, would, you, would your parents give you money? Like, wouldn't that also serve as evidence that like... Oh, so $150 was the money that they said was the motive for the crime that I had supposedly... That's murdered. what I'm saying. Like, or and were your parents I, like mad at you at the time for being like a pothead? No, I, yeah, they always were like, get out of pot, get out. You know, it's not doing you any favors. You know, it's like, but I was also being given 10 $20 every day or two or three by my dad, by my mom as well. Um, so how many days would I have just had to wait to get that $150 altogether? I mean, it's, it's <laughs> right. stupid. It's stupid. That's the other part of their theory. They know they never had a working theory. If you really knew our family or if you like evaluated the true set of evidence, you know, there nothing works because I didn't fucking do it. And I wouldn't. That's, have what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm just like, yeah, like, don't they need to also like, of like look at the family dynamic first like okay this family he was a lawyer like what 150 dollars been something that like this like that you would not have been able to get access like i'm just like yeah like was no part of their brain working like that or like oh so i mean first of all it's like it that turns on who they is like they is like the prosecution the police they're on they're not on the same they're sort of you know independent entities and and do they have to look at no they don't that's the thing is that we in this nation depend on um, a confrontational system to determine who wins a case. You have this side advocating as strenuously as you can for this side, this side over here advocating as strenuously as they can for their side. And the belief is that's the best system going. And and it probably is. And then on balance, justice is done in more cases than not. And, and that's kind of where people throw up their hands and go, you know, it's the best we got. So, but yeah, I mean, they should have looked at all of that is the answer, Liat. They totally should have. They should have been like, wait a minute. How does this even begin to make any sense? That's what I'm saying. Like, like I'm saying even before they had to get into like footprints and like this shit, I'm like, yeah, like just understanding like basic behavior. I'd be like, okay, well, let's look like if it's a family that the entire family units on drugs, right? They're all like, none of them are in a correct mental state. None of them have money. So like, there's really bad relationships here between everyone, you know, he's threatened his mom multiple times, like, you know, like things like that. Then I would be like, okay, like there's some, that's what I'm wondering. I'm like, they didn't look at that. Like their thing was like their view of the fucking window, like what they could see inside. So yeah. So in that instance, when you're saying like that, they is detective Monson because he was handed the homicide case. And he hadn't even gone, he hadn't even been educated as LAPD does into how to investigate a homicide. He hadn't even gone to that school, that training yet. And he was handed my case. This is what I'm told by the case record. It uh, reported that he wasn't educated. Um, and he's handed, the, he's handed the case. It's like, here you go, solve it. You're going to solve it? And he's, tr- number one, he's in the process of trying to prove himself as an investigator, trying to prove he knows how to be a homicide investigator so that he'll be given his, you know, official status as you know homicide detective or or prove his worth or whatever and so he's trying to solve it as quickly as he can and he has no interest in sort of like once he's authored the 13 page police report and signed his name to the bottom of it that is in retrospect full of fucking lies um he could either have gone i lied or i'm incompetent and he wasn't willing to do either one and so when you say they 
it's him and his sole motivation was to close the case. I mean, he had no real, he didn't give a fuck about my mom. He didn't give a fuck about me and my family. He didn't care if he gave me the right result. He just wanted to stamp closed on the case and he did. And so when you look at his interests, he served his own interests really well. He Is he alive? Yeah, he's alive. He, he retired full benefits. He's the one who retired full benefits. And Has there ever been an opportunity, like, would, like I'm sure he wouldn't do this, but like an interview with the two of you? <laughs> no, I sat across the table from him when he was deposed in my civil suit against the city of Los Angeles. I sat like, literally like four feet away from him for hours. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you contain yourself? Uh, he, I just went, you know what? Thank God I don't have to be him. Thank God I don't have to be in any contact with him. Um, you know, yep. he's, it's not, I had to disengage. I had to disengage emotionally from that and mm -hmm. count as quickly as possible and to just not, not focus on it. It was what it was. I survived it. He can't take anything more from me. And thank God. All right. Exactly. No one can take anything more from you because they took literally, I mean, more than anyone could ever take from it, a person. Um, they did to you. Uh, so you got out. I remember you were saying you went to IHOP. You love pancakes. I remember that from whatever episode we <laughs> were doing. So you went and to IHOP. 3094, yeah. <laughs> and now talk to us about the last 10 years a little bit. Like, tell us what your life has been like and so, what you're doing now. Yeah, so like I, oh gosh, what am I doing now? So 10 years. Um, so I got out, had pancakes. Um, I, <laughs> Wait, we got that part. We got that part. You got the pancakes. Are you, are you, are you opposed to waffles or? Waffles are okay in a pinch. Um, <laughs> gluten-free these days, please. Gluten-free. There you go. And, oh God, are you like a gluten-free diva? Like I'm out not, of prison? Yeah, totally. Gluten-free. Our bodies don't like glutens. What's up? Uh, oh my God. Are you like organic and stuff? I'm so organic. I have a green juice. I had a green juice while we were sitting here. I finished my green juice. Oh my God. You're so like you, you've come out and you've become one of these like California assholes. Okay. I get it. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought the expression was Texas. Oh, Oh yeah. Texas assholes. <laughs> Maybe we are. I don't know. No. Either way. California. Cali loves Texas, but no. So we're like healthy is healthy. And I like, they took a, gang of time out from the middle of my life and i'm not gonna like you know continue like shortening my lifespan I'm i agree go. i'm kidding yeah i totally and agree so you know what i mean so yeah and so that's where that's at and like yeah waffles are okay gluten-free and like <laughs> uh, yeah so like not butter but ghee you gotta eat, eat ghee. ghee love ghee but, so what's the years um gosh I got out, I got into another relationship with somebody who had supported me, um, a woman who had, had been like really supportive and we became pen pals when I was in and got into a relationship with her and eventually we married and um, had better part of 10 years. Actually, we were married for eight and just divorced last year or uh, early this year um, from her. It, it, uh, she showed me the world. So this is number two. This is the second this, wife. So this is my second wife. So and you've made up time. You've made up time. Well, you can't make up for less time. So it's a, it's a it's an error. It's a fallacy. It's folly to think that you can make up for less time. You have to take today on its terms. Exactly. To the fullest and be present, and that's super super important. And 
you know, I loved and I love my ex-wife and she showed me places far and wide, entertained me. We had a great, you know, great run. Um, ultimately, um, here we are. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, we didn't meet each other. We didn't meet each other 100%. And so it wind up in divorce. And, you know, we just, we're moving on and we're going our own way. And I, I wish her, you know, huge happiness and, and um and now yeah. you're happy as fuck we see that and that's happiest, so nice to see happy, happy as fuck in love and <laughs> um, and i just i want to be you know i don't know if you could tell I, I i began stepping a little you know treading a little carefully there i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings by no saying. i please and that's we can also take that out if that's not something you want a part in there no, that's yeah. fine you didn't say anything mean i think it's probably good that you leave it in um actually and and yeah, so there's, so yeah, life. What is, about for work? Like I see some stuff that you're doing. Yeah, life is complicated, and it's and it's beautiful, and it's complicated, and it's not black and white, and it's a bunch of gray, and it's a joy, and the, the more that we're present, and open to it, and not resistant to it, uh, more joyful it is. And so, what do I do? Um, I volunteer with a group called the Freedom to Choose Project based in Santa Barbara that goes into um, prisons and has workshops that are, uh, some of them, the ones that I go to are two days, Saturday and Sunday, and they're all day each day. And we go and we, we rent out, I go to CCWF more than Cali Central California Women's Facility, more than the other ones, more often than not. And we rent out an entire hotel there's usually about 60 50 60 70 of us uh, volunteers that go into the prison and there's three four hundred um uh, prisoner participants that are there as well and it's not as if we're going in with hallowed knowledge to save these lowly inmates it's like we're all even we're all equal and I love that. they're they're currently ex you know divine beings experiencing a prison experience and we're divine beings experiencing a free world covid lockdown experience and and there's no judgment and we work through materials that the group gives us in trio format and so one person will have questions and ask the sharer their answers to those questions and there's active listening that goes on and there's a neutral observer that holds a, a safe loving space and then we all rotate and everybody gets to play all the roles and we're all equal and we're all because we're all working through our shit in this life and we've all got trauma to be healed and we've all got like love to experience and, and truths to to arrive at and discover rediscover and i think it's a program like this is just so rewarding to me and so humbling to be a part of that i get so much out of it every time i get to go in that i mean if they charged me to go in i'd pay but, don't know <laughs> but like it's amazing and it's called the freedom issues project and I support death penalty focus, trying to abolish the death penalty in California. Um, we came, came close with Prop 34 a few years ago and then closer still. And I hope next time it's going to be the coup de grace for this um, medieval and outdated form of punishment that does nothing societally. People think, oh, it's going to incentivize, you know, it's going to it's going to be the negative reinforcement that, you know, people need to experience so they don't commit a, a capital crime. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's it's not a deterrent. Having the death penalty, in fact, in states that have the death penalty, 
the per capita murder rate is actually higher. It dehumanizes. There's no benefit. It costs us billions of dollars. And to me, I actually, if I knew I had life in prison, I, I, I also, I can't speak unless I was in it. I'd be like, I kind of, I would want that like to be killed. Is that weird? Well, you know, you would, you would, you would, um, and I mean, I don't know. Please, God, I never know what it feels like. But I'm right. just saying, like, is that yeah. not also like, like, yeah, I mean, at the very least, it's like, I only speak to my strongest argument, which is, if I was a few months older, I would have been eligible for the death penalty. Because $150 was stolen from my mom's purse, and murder in the commission of another felony makes you eligible for special circumstances in California. And therefore, you know, you could be tried and put on death row and killed. And I don't think that the state is is worthy of the power to take a, a human life because of its right. flaw, because of the flawed nature of our criminal justice system. Where unless you can ensure that 100% of people that you convict are actually guilty, you got no business even discussing whether or not it has a benefit to kill people. I know. I just saw that show, How to Fix a Drug Scandal. Like, yeah, that person who was saying that every single person had drugs, and then they were just like, "Did you watch it?" No, I haven't seen like, it. No so corrupt like this chemist was saying all of it was positive like because she was just keeping Uh it for herself yeah and like that was like hundreds of thousands of people yeah yeah well i mean and there are so many reasons that that our criminal justice system is flawed i mean starting with the fallibility of of you know even eyewitness testimony it's like i saw that person commit that crime well did you now let's look at that. And there are clear statistics. Scholarly investigations have been done on that that prove that like that's not reliable. Polygraphs are not lie detectors. All of the stuff that we've been we've been brainwashed to think is just, oh, well, that's you know, there is no gold standard of evidence. And and because we're guys, reliability, we talk about this, accuracy, a lot of things are not accurate. Yeah, they're totally not. They're totally not. Polygraphs are stress detectors. They're not lie detectors. I know Somebody, you could tweeze your butthole together or something if you want to pass it. I heard. You know, it's well, I mean, you know, but there's so yeah. So for that and a whole host of other reasons, it's some bullshit technology that even the courts have recognized. Even the courts who oversaw my conviction have said that polygraphs are bullshit and don't allow them. So I mean it's yeah. we have a lot of catching up to do. And unfortunately, um, in a lot of ways, we seem to be going like the, the wrong direction. But I think one big thing that we could do is get the death penalty off the table. There's no reason for it. If you want to make society safe so that that person should never, you know, darken anybody's doorstep again, give them 800 years with halftime credits. Right. <laughs> is that <laughs> what you get? Is that your credit that you get for the yeah. commentary? Yeah, or whatever, like for yeah, good yeah. behavior. Like if they're, you know, model inmates. Okay, he only has to do 400. Cool. There and you go. So, you know, so there's that. There's so freedom to choose and death penalty focus. And, and you know, Inside Out Writers is a really great program that brings creative writing workshops and other support services to um, a juvenile inmate population um, in Los Angeles County. And they're fantastic, Inside Out Writers. And, if you uh, could say something to someone who's sitting in prison right now, which I don't know if they'd ever be able to hear this podcast in prison, mm-hmm. but you, you can tell me that. But. Yeah, there, there are services now that sell music, and so they might be able to, but yeah. 
I mean, I don't know if they'd want to buy behavior bitches, um, but whatever. Who uh, who yeah, well, thank you. What 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 would you tell someone who's like sitting there innocent? Like, what would your word to that individual be? Don't give up. This is the fight of your life, especially if it's a life, if you're serving life for a long, long, long time. This is the fight of your life. If you've ever had something to bring, bring it out. This is your, this is your time. This is your war. This is your everything. This is your, your chance to, to see that, you know, justice wins the day. It's up to you. Don't give up on yourself. Keep that fire going. Love yourself. Keep that fire going. When you're angry, when you're, when you have, you know, resentments that want to build up, recognize that that's not going to hurt. That's not going to help you. That's going to hurt you. Channel that as energy back into working on your own case. Do what you need to do. Immediately write to the, to the jurisdiction that arrested you and prosecuted you and tell them that you want the evidence preserved in your case. Don't destroy my evidence. Right. Right. Oh, that's in- important. Yeah. It's very important. Write to innocence projects and tell them about your case. If you're not good at English, if you're not good at writing, if you're not good at, you know, get good, get good at it, mm-hmm. um, get good at it, because that's going to that's be your opportunity to demonstrate to the people that you need to demonstrate to what happened to you, like to explain it when an attorney at the Innocence Project contacts you and says, okay, what? You need an elevator pitch. You need a short, concise, you know, conveying of the facts the core facts the strongest your strongest case because you need to bring them on board and then they can take the the reins but you need to do that you need to get like i did every scrap of paper on your case and pour over it and if they framed you if you're innocent then there's going to be evidence of that wow oh my drop mic mm -hmm. drop all right and Alan, if you could move what I'm about to ask to like earlier in the episode, like when we're doing listener questions, um, we had one last listener question. And the listener is some, our best listener we have. In fact, it's our producer. He listens to every episode and he <laughs> doesn't have you. a choice to re-listen more than once to look for the edits. <laughs> so we can even bring Alan on to ask the question. Alan, what is your question for Bruce. So, I mean, missing cultural events while in prison has been kind of, it's kind of fascinating to me. I just never, I, I want to know what it's like, like when something big happens around the world, like COVID-19, people experiencing this, it's probably awful. Uh, but 9-11, you were in prison during that. What was the reaction to that event? Did anyone even care or notice? How, what was it like? Because that was kind of the moment a lot of people my age's life changed yeah absolutely well um yeah no people did absolutely notice i i was in the gym i was in a big dorm uh with 160 159 other people living on on bunks um on what used to be a gymnasium floor and i was asleep because of my job hours i would stay up very very late and then i would go to sleep and i'd wake up mid-morning and i woke up to people standing in the aisles looking up at the day room TVs up on the high, high on the wall there and just, you know, gasping and just, you know, God, you know, and wow, this is, that's crazy. You know? And I was like, what's crazy. And it just, you, you quickly realize that the sounds aren't the expected sounds of the mid morning. And so I like turned on my little TV that I had there and 
and saw the images of, you know, at least one tower collapsing and um, was just blown away. It just, you know, socked in the, in the gut, kicked in the, in the gut. And I know there were a lot of people in there that felt that way. And Did you realize what a big deal it was? Because like I was, oh. I was, I think maybe like nine go like on my way to like yeah. running practice in the morning. And my dad's like, Oh my God, these buildings, like these buildings. And I'm like, what? Like, which, like, I didn't even know, like, yeah. like, I, but you were, you were older, you're older than us. So like, yeah, you're like, yeah. Oh, this is terrorism. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Instant, instantly. Um, knew the significance of it. And like, they're like, if you're, so you're you're always in there like bringing your a game like you're always like aware of what's going on around you and if you're intelligent you're you got a pretty good understanding of the world around you and you want to you want to size it up on its terms and know what it is and so yeah I, I i knew like they're instantly like this is an act of terrorism and this is there's going to be like a massive response everything's changed nothing's going to be the same after this moment and there are other people and there's a cross-section of society and there, there were like former military guys in there got prisoners who you know used to be in the army used to be marines all that and so they were like you know in their response and 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 the cops were you know law enforcement dish types and say so that they were reacting and so yeah but the monument of like societal like globally like this had changed everything that awareness was absolutely um right there and present for me and I watched just like we all did. I mean, in that sense, I participated in, in life with everybody else. It's those, those odd things that sort wow. of remind you that we're all in it together, whether you're sitting inside a prison or you're outside able to drive around and go to a 7-Eleven or whatever, um, just like COVID-19. And with COVID-19, if I was in there and I know what the feelings are in there. Yeah, like what's going on in there right now? Do you you're think? super like vulnerable to like even just the flu. Like, I remember there was one year where the prison locked down because enough people had the flu that it was like a tipping point and they just lock it down. Otherwise, everybody will get it. And you'll have like- It's like worse than New York City. Like- Yeah, yeah, totally. And they locked down and then I was in another smaller dorm situation. I was on um, emergency overflow housing beds in a housing unit that wasn't designed to have a dorm in it, but they had cleared out part of the day room seats and put in these bunks. And I'm in one of those bunks because I behaved well, and that's the people that they put in those bunks. And so the person beneath me, my bunkie, had it, had the flu. The person next to me had it. The person on the other side and below them had it. So I was surrounded by people with, with an airborne transmissible disease that was very serious, the flu. And I was scared shitless because I was like, fuck, people die of the flu, you know? And the fact is, a lot fewer people die of the flu than die of COVID-19. And COVID-19 is much more transmissible and much more, and it's much more deadly than the flu. I mean, it had the mortality much higher and transmissibility is off the charts. It's so easy to catch. And so in prison, I know that there's a whole population or a significant percentage of the population that is really, really worried right now. And as you can see, like there are some states that are now reporting, I think New York is one of them, but, but like the huge number, 1,800 people in in one state, wasn't it? I'm not sure what state it was. Yesterday or day before, like 1,800 people in a correctional institution tested positive. Oh, that's like Yeah, it's, it's bananas. It's, yeah, it's bananas. It's like, it's really, really scary. 
Yeah. This, this boy I told you I went to high school with, like his mom messaged me about it now. And she's like, it's so frightening. Like also this guy, we actually weren't like good friends. I just followed up because like I heard he was in prison and I thought it'd be nice to write to him. But like, apparently he's HIV positive from like drug use before he went in. And so like, he's really immunocompromised and his mom is like, I'm literally petrified. Yeah. 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 God. It's serious. And I tell you what, one thing we could do. So like people are like, Oh, you know, let's, if, if anybody's like looking at and thinking of like globally, like what we could do or like universally, like what could we do to, to make the situation a lot safer. And that is, I'll tell you, don't house prisoners in dorms. If it's important, if it's important enough, because it's dehumanizing to begin with, and it doesn't, it, it works against your your ostensible efforts to reduce recidivism and to rehabilitate, or at least to provide an opportunity that's consistent with, um, you know, an environment that's consistent with rehabilitation. To house people like that in a dehumanizing way, to tell them they're a piece of shit does mo- does no more than traumatize them again, which their their criminal acting out is 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 all but certainly based in trauma that's been unaddressed in their past. So where can you put, where can you put them? In a cell. If you, if it's important enough to incarcerate somebody, in other words, society really, really. Oh, you mean like, you mean like a big room as opposed to. Yeah. Don't house people in dorms. And, and a side effect of that is that you're not within the social, you're not in violation of social distancing as you are in a dorm in a cell. At least you have just one person in a cell as God intended, <laughs> that just came out. <laughs> One person in a cell, at least they can be socially distant. At least they could, you know, you're not going to have like, like spot fire transmissibility and things take off like wildfire, like, like epidemics breaking out. You're not going to have that. You'd have the ability to like contain something like this. This is just one reason why like housing one person or one cell, never any dorms is advantageous. Like, and then sociologically speaking, good God, like if you're in a cell, you have some ability to close the door and use the toilet. Right. You have, you have reinforced that you're worthy of that. Like we honor you enough to allow you to do that rather than like, no, screw that. 150 people, you guys vie for three toilets. Jeez. Tough luck or whatever, or seven toilets, you know, tough luck. Shouldn't have committed a crime. <laughs> Ugh, that's awful. Yeah. Great advice, though. Thank you for that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bruce, for this time. I know I asked for an hour, but you gave me three and a half. So, like, <laughs> I'm the kind of I'm the kind of girl that you know, <laughs> if you give a mouse a cookie, they'll they'll ask for milk, and then they'll ask for this, and or give me an inch, and I'll take a mile. Mile. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it like opens a lot of insight to so many things that like. I mean, just like life lesson wise. I mean, we like talked about so many behavioral principles, you know, like just a lot of insight and like, especially with what's going on in the world right now. I mean, I can't thank you enough for coming on. My pleasure, Connor. Anytime. And I'll come back if you want me to come back. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, yeah. Thank My you for pleasure. sharing. And again, sorry for what happened to you. Sorry about your mom. Like, I just wanted to express that sympathy as, as yeah. much as I can. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You have turned out amazing. I love your energy. I love your mindset, the positivity. That's how I try to live my life as well. So um, I have so many notes on this episode. 
three of you now. Um, yes, deep namaste. And to you and your um, beautiful girlfriend, I'm so happy that you have found that and also that you um, are able to ha have this reflection life. on your life. Yeah. So first, you've been awesome. We're so happy. Mm -hmm. And let's see, you guys know where to find us. Um, also in our show notes for these episodes, I'm going to share all of the places you can go. I mean, Bruce is very humble because he has had a lot of appearances and a lot of things um, out there on his website um, that we didn't even talk about. And I want you guys to go watch and- Do we do another episode? No. <laughs> In um, future- so yeah, so you guys know where our show notes are. You know where to find us um, on Facebook, Behavior Bitches Podcast, Instagram, Behavior Bitches Podcast, our website, BehaviorBitchesPodcast.com. It's not BehaviorBitchesPodcast.com. It's BehaviorBitches.com. That's why you should never take my job. It's my job to talk I about I always get it wrong when I try it. <laughs> it's BehaviorBitches.com. Um, Whatever. So we really appreciate all of you guys listening. Hopefully you enjoyed this detailed story and just everything about it as always love you mean it hey guys it's liat and casey we just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast there is a way you can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who help us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need super. him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him. And he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm -hmm.